Hey, hey, you're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. This is John Goldman. You're listening to us on Radio Harbor Country. That's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Johnny's Secret Stash is underwritten by Kara's Cottages, one of downtown Kalamazoo's first Airbnbs, Kara's Cottages are within walking distance of local shops, breweries, and some of Michigan's most beautiful walking trails. Additional information at karascottages.com. That's Kara's and Cottages with a K. I am very excited to welcome today um, Nathan Graham, who is a, um, has a, is a guitar player, blues singer, and uh, has just recently, I think in October, come out with an album called Second, Saint of Second Chances. And he is going to be playing with Shamika Copeland at the Acorn Theater on uh, Sunday, January 30, uh, December 31st. And uh, really looking forward to getting a chance to talk with him. Before we get there, I would like to play one of, um, uh, one of his uh, newest songs, called Somebody Else. Here's Nathan Graham with Somebody Else. Sick of waiting on your call You promised that you'd be there Wouldn't have stayed so long with nobody Said I had something to say. Said I had something more. Said you never felt this way, and I never felt this before. Will I be your fool?
That was Nathan Graham with uh, somebody else from his debut album, uh, Saint of Second Chances. It came out in, uh, I believe, October of 2023. And uh, I'm going to play another one for you from Nathan Graham. And this one is called The Right One. My life as a selfish man Fooling around with people's hearts And I've been praying, doing all I can The bottom is a perfect place to start Feels like that I've been wrong enough Selfish man Running round from town to town And I've been praying Doing all I can That your love will keep me right here on the ground Feels like that I've been wrong enough I lost my way a time or two I'm on the right one with you. I'm on the right one with you. That's Nathan Graham with Right One from his Saint of Second Chances album, which just came out in October. And Nathan will be on here in just a minute. Looking forward to talking with him. Uh, he's a uh, Southsider from Chicago and um, has a blues background, but uh, also considers himself kind of an Americana singer and a singer-songwriter. So looking forward to hearing from him and uh, getting a little bit more from finding out more about him. And I'm here with Nathan Graham. Nathan, how are you? Thanks for coming on the show. 
I'm really good. Thank you. All right, good. So uh, sounds like you are familiar with the uh, Harbor Country area a little bit. And uh, um, I know that you've got this show coming up with Shamika Copeland at the end of the month. Uh, ha- have you played up here previously? I have, yeah. I did a. Um, I opened up for Lily Hyatt uh, in the summer, or not the summer. It was I, it was in October um, uh, at the Acorn Theater. Oh um, yeah, that was a that was a great show. I'm, and uh, and are you also going on tour with her next spring? Is that what uh, that's what I heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we did two shows with uh, with Lily Hyatt back to back. We played Oktoberfest in my now hometown of, of Oak Park, Illinois. And oh. then um, we got booked for the show in, at the Acorn as well. So then we kind of just kept in touch and, um, you know, just kind of, you know, shot messages back and forth. And, you know, she was really interested in the album and the album release. So we just kind of kept in touch that way. And then, um, you know, she said like, hey, you know, I got some shows coming up in 2024. Would love to have you on a couple of them. Let me know what your schedule is. So we got with her team and figured it out. And, uh, yeah, so a tour came out of it. Oh, that's great. So, uh, where's this tour going? So we're going to do, uh, the sort of the, the Southwest and Western run of the tour. So we're doing, um, Arkansas, Dallas, Texas, uh, Austin, Texas, uh, LA. And I think I can't remember the, it's a small town in California. Um, I actually have the, I actually have the, the, the schedule right in front of me. Um, That's here. convenient. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be good. And then we're ending out, um, you know, rounding that out in, in Seattle. We're doing Portland. Um, yeah. So it's, it should be a lot of fun. That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it's so nice to be able to make those kind of connections and, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, it's such a, a nice world of, um, of musical people. And, uh, yeah. when you, when you find uh, musicians that you work nicely with and, and enjoy each other's music and, and, uh, their company, you know, that just becomes, uh, it just adds to the, to the bonus of being able to express yourself musically like that. Yeah. And I, and I like the fact that, that her team is, is, you know, relatively small and it's not like you know you don't have to go through layers of people to to you know it's really cool because like the the last couple of of kind of high profile tours like this that i've been on i've gotten to speak directly with the artists and then like kind of speak with their team so it was it was really nice to have that you know that close connection as opposed to being like you know okay you're gonna call this person to do this and this person do that and you never meet the person that you're opening for yeah until you like get on stage and and you're trying to mesh with them it feels like you're just so removed from the process that it doesn't have anything to do with you almost so you know um the last tour one of the last tours that i went on uh, that was pretty big was i went on tour with ben harper oh wow that sounds yeah so it's like i i had the the you know, I had the relationship with him before I even knew anybody on his team. So it was like, we were texting back and forth and he, you know, he called me and asked me if I wanted to go. And then I got to talk to the people that like kind of put everything together. So, you know, it was really nice to have that close connection with them because, you know, then I felt like I was, I, you know, I felt really good about that. And it, it did feel, you know, like those connections can still happen. Cause you know, when you're, when you're playing shows, when you're, you know, when you're starting to do this, 
it's like everybody's teams kind of talk to each other, but the but the artists don't really talk to each other sometimes. Sure, sure. And me coming from like the blues community, it's it's everybody's so close knit and everybody knows each other's names and you know, I've gone over to their house for like holidays or like knows, you know, their kids or or whoever. You know, it is kind of it's it's important to me anyway to have sort of that that connection with a, a somebody that you're going on tour with, you know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Chicago's got just such a rich history of of blues, you know, with uh, uh, Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon and, uh, you know, all those old time guys. And then, of course, um, Buddy Guy and Buddy Guy kind of kept things going with uh, his Legends nightclub or, uh, you know, whatever the, the venue Legends. And, uh, you know, that's become kind of this magnet for. You know, some great Chicago blues. I, I know I've had some really great nights there. Uh, yeah. It, it, so it sounds like, you know, this um, going out on your own and doing your own music is relatively new, but that you've had a lot of experience, you know, working with other bands. And what capacity have you worked with some of these other bands? I was I was a hired gun a lot of times. You know, I was just like the, I was the, the blues guitar guy, you know, ah, so... Yeah. It was, you know, playing with, you know, getting to play with Buddy Guy, getting to play with, um, uh, you know, Byler Smith and, you know, Nick Tremulous and, um, you know, even doing like more national stuff, uh, you know, with, with sort of like some higher profile bands with um, that are signed to like bigger record labels, getting to do that, you know, doing the whole Nashville scene too, you know, being able uh-huh. to like try to go to Nashville and do that whole thing and come back and, you know, so it was like session work, you mean, or or, or playing with bands and st- uh, yeah. on the road? Both. Yeah, both. Um, uh-huh. A lot of I had a lot of session work though, because it was, you know, it was really a lot of times when somebody wanted that kind of authentic what they said, like you know, quote unquote Chicago blues style. I would get that call. And, <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, great. Like, Can you come up here and do this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll come out there. Um, so it was really nice to kind of have to be able to to strike out because I had another band as well that I that I played with for a little bit and um, it wasn't it was kind of like a group project and and it wasn't really like you know the music that I wrote alone right a lot of right um, and I didn't really write this record alone either it was you know but it's more like it's more you, know, you. solo artists uh-huh you know that, so that was that this was my first kind of you know effort in that. Yeah, that. right, yeah. right. So uh, it sounds like you've been uh, playing blues guitar for quite a long time that you've developed this this uh, reputation and uh, that people look for you. Uh, wh- you know, how did that all start? When did you first start playing guitar? And and uh, how um, did you, you know, get to the point where you were playing with these guys like Buddy Guy and, and Nick Tremulous mm-hmm. and... Um, so I, I started playing guitar when I was probably, I want to say I was either 12 or 13 years old. And I, you know, I was always, I mean, my parents love music. They always, you know, there was music always in the house. And my dad was like on the singer songwriter side of music. And my mom was like everything, like she loved every different type of music. And so I started playing drums first and I was really bad at it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Like, well, I can't all four of my limbs do all different things at the same time. So yeah. let me see if I can get two of them to do different things. <laughs> um, so 
I, I started playing guitar and I really, I, I really took to it. I took to it really quickly. You know, it's like I, I started, I, I started playing like every, you know, a lot of people do. I, I took some lessons, but a lot of it was, a lot of my lessons were me going into my lesson room and like telling my teacher, his name was Frank Anastas, um, and telling them like, you know, hey, I want to learn how to play the solo from, um, you know, Lenny Kravitz, California. Like, I want to learn how uh, to play that song. Yeah. And, you know, he would he would kind of, you know, show me basic chords and then be like, okay, well, this is, you know, here's here's how to do this. Here's how to do this thing. And then he would mix it up with theory. So, you know, he would say, hey, this is what they're doing, but this is why it sounds cool. Because, oh, you know, like, yeah. these degree notes one four five sound good together two five one sounds good together you know and it's like and this is what they're doing in this song so it's now i'm i'm sort of getting an education through learning how to play music as opposed to kind of just doing the thing where it's just like okay here's all the theory and you know now you can learn how to play songs we were learning how to play songs while getting the theory so i could you know it, it was like i was getting that that education in real time and i could related to everything that I was doing. So now, you know, the the Dorian scale, you know, for me was like, okay, that's Carlos Santana, you know? So it's like, now I can look at that and, and use it, you know, in a practical way. Um, right. And then when I got to, when I got to college, I, I met this, uh, met a good friend of mine and professor, his name is Fernando Jones. And uh, he was, a huge he's a huge advocate for chicago blues and like teaching you know kids how to play blues and getting them into that music into that genre very early in life um and so he would he would take me around to like all these different blues clubs and you know you know basically introduce me to all these people that you know to me to me are you know larger than life people and so now it's like, but he's, he's talking to them like old friends. So I'm just like, you know, I'm really mesmerized by all this stuff. And then, you know, I started going to blues clubs and jamming all the time. And, and, you know, I would say like, Hey, I'm not old enough to be in here, but can I just like sit in this one corner until I go up to play? And then I'll just go back and sit in that corner. And they'd be like, yeah, sure. Okay. That's so a lot great. Of that, yeah. At, at guys at, at Kingston mines at blues on Halstead, um, Captain Hard Times, uh, Lee's Unleaded when Lee's Unleaded was on, you know, when, when it was open on the South side. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just really organic how I kind of got into it. It was just being around and being able to listen and learn and, um, you know, jumping in when I could, you know, because a lot of times, you know, you would just kind of wait around for your moment it was sort of thing. You know, somebody would, guitar player wouldn't show up. Or, you know, um, you know, it's like somebody would get fired between the sets. Oh, jeez! You know? <laughs> and it'd be like, hey, can you play, you know, can you play, um, you know, five long ears? I'm like, yeah, I can play five yeah. long ears. Up here and do it. I'm like, okay, great. Like, that is one of the great things about blues is that there's these standards that everyone kind of knows. And then it becomes this onstage improv fest where, you know, everyone's kind of putting in there two bits about, you know, how it should be played. And, 
um, what a great opportunity to get to yeah. to get to do that. It, was it ner- you know were you nervous when you first started doing that, or did you, once you got up there you felt like oh I got this you know oh man, I'm still nervous now. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to hide better than I used right. To. <laughs> I remember the first time. I remember one of the first times I ever played in front of people. Uh, do you remember uh, the the Guitar Center like King of the Blues thing? Do you remember that? Well, I, the Guitar Center, I I know about that, that story. You mean, is that what you're talking about? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, they had and they had a King of the Blues like contest or something. Right, right, right. Okay. So they had this competition called called King of the Blues, and they give you these like, uh, you go into the store and you you'd sign up, and it was free to sign up, and they give you these backing tracks. They give you this CD um, of like 25 backing tracks or something like that. It's you know ridiculous number of tracks. And you could pick whichever one you wanted to do, like, you know, just to, you know, noodle on, right? Yeah, yeah. So I remember, um, you know, my dad was like, you know, he encouraged me. He was like, you should do it. You should try it, you know, just to see how it goes. And so I remember that was one of the first times I ever performed for people. And I got up there and I didn't like my, like I had the, the worst stomach pain. I was super nervous. <laughs> and I think it was probably like 20 or 30 people in that little you know, back room of Guitar Center, but to uh, me, it felt like a thousand people there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got up there and I played and everything, and, and my mom looked at me. She was just like, you didn't close your mouth the entire time. <laughs> I felt her nervous. She was like, you got to figure that out. If you're going to keep doing it. I was like, all right. So I, I did, I, but I still get, I still really do get nervous when it comes to, playing it to get up on stage yeah and you know who doesn't uh, but i think you you kind of get to it especially before you start like in the anticipation of of getting up there is sometimes worse than you know once you get going then everything just falls into yeah. place and it's not as nerve-wracking anymore but i can imagine you know being a young guy and and uh not having played in front of anyone before and so from that guitar center uh it, did you then start going to the blues clubs and getting up on stage at that point or was there some other stuff in between no that was i was pretty much like i i caught the i caught the bug at that point because i really you know i yeah. really started to enjoy it um and i you know it's like I, I would hear about these blues jams and there was one blues jam and i cannot remember the name of the club but i remember the name of the event and it was um there was this guy named this drummer named Robert Pasenko. And uh, he had this thing called the hot dog blues jam every, I think it was like every Thursday, every other Thursday night. And he would get this giant vat of hot dogs and buns and you would <laughs> play blues and eat hot dogs. That oh was, man. Yeah. So I got to go and, and play with him and do do all that stuff. And he gave me a bunch of records and everything. He gave me like, you know, the Almond Brothers and, you know, he gave me, um, Oh, he introduced you, know, he, you to all those, that kind of music. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he introduced me to Almond mm-hmm. Brothers. And it was funny because like, I, I had heard a lot of these songs on the radio, just like driving around with my dad, but I didn't know who it, who it was. You know, I just, right. I just knew I was. So I was like, now I'm listening to in memory of Elizabeth Reed and, you know, and, and uh, Statesboro Blues. And I'm like, you know, now I know the names and I know the people and I'm learning about everything. And um, so, yeah, you know, and then I started finding other blues jams. You know, I would, you know, go on the Internet and be like, OK, where are blues jams that I can go to? 
and I would go to, you know, since, you know, when at, at, at one point, you know, my, both my parents went to Columbia College as well. So, you know, Columbia was right next to, to um, Buddy Guys. Right, so right. I, it's over there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I saw that Buddy Guys had a blues jam and I would go there and then people would be like, oh, you should come to this blues jam at Kingston Mines. I know what, I didn't know what Kingston Mines was. So look that up, drive over to Kingston Mines. Um, you know, Blues on Halstead was right across the street. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would do that one. And then, you know, the next day I would go to Blues on Halstead and, you know, I just found as many places that I could play as possible. Oh, that sounds like a lot of yeah. fun. And so the way these blues jams go is that, you know, they have like a backup band and anyone, anyone can go up on stage or, uh, you know, what was happening? Were, were people just like, you know, standing out front and saying, hey, why don't you and I go up and do this together or you know, how, how does that, how does that all work? So sometimes it would be, so a lot of times it would be like, there, there would be a, uh, like a band that would host the jam, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Have, you know, so it would be like, um, uh, man, what, what was that guy's name? Uh, Dr. Cannot remember this guy's name now, but any, but you know, it escapes me uh, now. It's so long. A, a local Chicago blues guy though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so we, he would, you know, they would have their bands and basically anybody, they have this like sign up sheet. So anybody who wanted to come up and play, they, you know, you'd write down your name and the instrument that you wanted to play. And then, you know, the band would switch out. So if it's like, you know, if you're like, all right, you know, my name is so-and-so I want to play bass, bass player from that band would leave the stage. You'd pop up, you know, if you wanted to play guitar, sometimes the lead guy would stay up and you would, you know, you would play with them. Uh-huh. So, like, so for the first few times, I, I didn't even play a solo. I just wanted to accompany the whoever the person was on stage. Right, just finding that rhythm. rhythm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing lead-wise. So then, and then some people would come, uh, some people would come up there and they would be like entire bands. Uh-huh, you know, sure. Get into that club to play. So, you know, they would they would have their whole band like sign up and then, you know, it's like they would all switch out and then everybody would... would all the, you know, the, the backing band for that night would come down. Yeah. So I did that a couple of times. And then, uh, um, you know, one of the, one of the guys that I remember, his name is Vance Kelly. Um, he used to host a, a jam at, at, uh, Captain Hard Times. And he was like, it's like, you're pretty good. And I was like, well, thanks. And he was like, no, no, no. I was like, seriously, you're, you're pretty good at doing this. So I want you to come back, like, you know, and play with us on a, on a regular night. Wow. That's cool. And he asked me to come play with him on a, regular night and uh i think <laughs> i think it was sort of like a ruse to so i could get up there and play a bunch of instrumental blues songs that he go drink and still get paid <laughs> you know? but you he know, found I, someone I, who who could like do the work for him kind of exactly. but that but that's a that's a pretty good setup though that that you got to play while you know he thought he was getting off of of having to work but uh yeah. still worked out pretty good well, I was, uh, you know, the, your first music teacher, not just teaching you the notes and the songs, but giving you kind of a, uh, the theory behind it so that you could then go and, and make your own creations and, and kind of have a good sense of, of what goes where at what time. That sounds like, yeah. you know, that, that was sort of the impetus, that the, you know, the genesis of, of you um, playing the blues, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, he was he was giving me song structure, and I didn't know this. I didn't know what it was yet. You know, I didn't right. know what. I wouldn't know for a while, 
because that you know it's like I, I started writing songs when I was in my you know probably in my my early twenties, and um, you know didn't really write much in high school or anything like that. I just I just wanted to play guitar. That was my, my, my yeah. thing. Yeah. You know? So when you wrote songs, did you write them with the guitar? Did you write them with a piano? Uh, did you even you know have a melody in mind when you were writing the 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 lyric part? Yeah, I mean, I, I I would have like I would have a like a chord progression and a melody in mind, and then um, once I did get to college, I would I got into this this program called the Cup Program, and uh, it was basically like you know they would show you how to be a um, not just a jobbing musician or not just like you know because a lot of it was based around like jobbing or you know being like the you know just an instrumentalist sort of thing. Uh huh. But we got into the cup program and then it became like, okay, you're, you know, at the beginning of the semester, you're going to put together a band and y'all are going to write a song or write multiple songs that you're going to perform, you know, at the end of the semester like that. Your final is, is performing a song. How fun. That's, uh, I mean, that is like a musician's dream to, to have that kind of like, uh, you know, uh, that almost reminds me of kind of like one of these, um, MBA programs where you're working and going to school and, and, you know, you work in groups and, and you're supposed to come up with an idea and, and make it, you know, kind of put a, a business plan together. That's essentially what you're doing, but for music and having yeah. an educational background behind it. That's, that's really great. That was they, at Columbia. They, they, they did that. Yeah. They had us like email venues and like, you know, put together stage plots and oh, cool. all that. Stuff. Yeah. You had to, you had to do all the things. Um, and then, so I, when I started doing that, I, I started talking to all these people who had been songwriters since, you know, they were like seven, eight years old. Right. And so one of the, the guys that I was, that I looked up to, um, he was, you know, a, a class, you know, above me. And, uh, he would say like, he would write a melody and write the chords and then he would hum the melody and then until like a word came out and then he would like uh -huh. go from that word and like see what kind of feeling that, you know, evoked. And then he would, you know, build the song out from that. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Thing. So I started doing that. I would like, you know, have these melodies in my head and I'd be like, okay, what is that? What is that me humming that? What is, what word feels right in that? Yeah. What comes out of that just from yeah, the, the pure melody of it? Oh, that's cool. Uh, ever, do you ever just come up with the lyrics and then uh, do it backwards from that? Every once in a while. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while I'll have like a line in my head and I'm like, oh, I got to write that down. And then I'll I'll have it, you know, I'll, I'll have it written down and stored. And I'm like, I'm going to do something with that. And then I'll have like, you know, a week later I'll have like a melody. I'm like, ooh, that's perfect for this. And then I'll go back to that and, and you know, can, can kind of flesh that out. As, you know, I've I've talked to a bunch of people about the origins of their songs and things like that, and sometimes it just kind of comes to them. You know, they don't even know where it's coming from. It just it just comes to them. Uh, sometimes in their sleep or whatever, and they wake up and they write it quickly. Or sometimes they, you know, while they're just driving in their car, it's rarely uh, that they are like, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a song, and then they just start you know, kind of thinking it out. It, it doesn't usually come like that. Do you find that to be the case as well? I'm, you know, I, 
yeah, usually it's it's something that comes to me when I'm doing something that does not require um, any sort of like brain power. Like if I'm washing dishes or if I'm in the shower or if I'm like, you know, like just taking a walk, it, like something will something will come up and then I'll, I'll have to do that. You know, like the, on your phone, you have the voice. Memo. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to I have to like sing a melody into my phone. And especially it's especially embarrassing when you're taking a walk because, you know, it's like you're kind of humming this thing and you're, you know, people are used to you talking on the phone. Yeah. Phone. <laughs> used to somebody just like a stream of consciousness, mel- you know, like vocalizing into their phone. So it's a little embarrassing. But uh, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, you know, I can I can just do it. It's fine. Nobody's really paying attention. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's usually when I'm doing something that's kind of you know, it's not really like, you know, mentally taxing. And then I can, it'll be something that, that jumps out at me. Did you, had you written um, any songs prior to putting together this, this very latest album that you uh, came out with? Say that one more time. Uh, Have, had you, um, uh, you know, put together any songs or written any songs prior to this latest album that you just came out with in October? Yeah. Um, so a lot of those songs, a good amount of those songs were written in like 2019, end of 2019 and 2020. Uh-huh. And I, you know, we had the idea of like, you know, right. You know, putting out an EP of like maybe four or five songs from that. Cause I think I had about 20 songs and I narrowed them down to like five and I was like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to do an EP. And then the, the world shut down. So I was like, yeah, not a good time to put out. Uh, <laughs> right. Let me, let me hold on to this. And then through those years, it's like other songs came up and, uh, and we're like, oh, okay. It's like now we have a full you know, record. And I reworked some of the song of the, of the 20 that I had, I reworked some of those. So it would fit sort of the vibe of what I was had for this EP. I see. Ended it, up, and yeah. that's what ended up being the say, the saint of second chances. And um, that title, uh, you know, what what is the origin of the title, Saint of Second Chances? So Saint of Second Chances, um, that was, so the original name of the stories I picked up, and I, and I, I it's like a working title. And I what, say, say it again, I, I, I missed it, but I don't know if yeah. it came through. Um, no, I was saying the first uh, title for the album was True Stories I Made Up. Ah, True Stories You Made Up, good one. It, it didn't really sound like, I mean, it was, it, it, it sounded like it was trying to be too cool and it didn't really work out. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it was, sounds like you've been getting some really great feedback over the years. And uh, so, you know, you, you have some trusted uh, advisors who, who helped you with this, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So you guys, so saying of second chances, uh, does that imply you know that you had a first chance and and this is uh, this is a second chance around? You know, I guess I'm trying to fish for something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I had this. Yeah. I mean, I was I was kind of I don't know I can't remember what I was doing, but you know, it's just like the the word saying of second chances just hit me all of a sudden. I was like, oh, that's the name of the album, and it was kind of because the whole album is about you know, these, this really bad sort of time that I had between 2015 and 2017 of, you know, being a, a, a you know, a, a touring and session musician, and then also trying to do my own thing. And, you know, the, 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 
the kind of decisions that you make to try to to try to be like, all right, this thing I'm going to do is going to help me in the band. And then you do that thing. And it's just like, that was an awful decision that I made. <laughs> and you, know, you get on the other side of it and you're just like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, or it's like, man, this, you know, that really sucked. Um, well, just, it, it all comes together. It all stands for something and, and has an ultimate purpose. You know, even if you, you know, go down one route and it's not exactly the way that things are supposed to be. And then you readjust. I mean, all that time spent, it, it's, it all has a role in where you are today. So yeah. I'm really glad to see that, um, that you were able to, you know, kind of break through all that stuff. Not that things were going bad. I mean, it sounds like you had a really nice thing going with um, the, the blues music. And, and then this, you know, this album is, it's got, it's very soulful. It's kind of like that old time R&B kind of stuff. Uh, where was that? You know, what, where did that come from? Is this based on things that you used to listen to growing up or, uh, you know, what, what kind of influenced this latest um, uh, manifestation of, of Nathan Graham? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, all of the, all of the 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 songs kind of like I, I can mirror it mirror it to a place of like another song that I loved and I and I listened to as a kid. So it was like my mom would listen to anything from Motown, Stax, uh, you know, like all of the Sound of Philadelphia records, um, and you know all of that sort of that you know uh, that era of music. Right. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and I was also listening to, right in that also in that era of music, there was on the other side, the rock side of it was Joe Cocker, and um, you know the 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 band and uh -huh. Bob Dylan, all those people. So they were also doing that sort of like soulful Americana thing. And I was also listening to you know, uh, the Spinners and you know, um, you know. Right. Uh, patients and all those people and they had that like you know four on the floor really cool dancey beat sort of thing right right and, and also the the fact that they could write a song that was really simple but made you feel really good right right you know it was you know because a lot of times when somebody says singer songwriter they always kind of have this idea of like this person that's writing this really introspective thing that has all these like hitting hidden meanings and everything and it's like sometimes you just want I've got sunshine on a cloudy day like that. Yeah. That yeah. Just as good. So, um, you know, I finally got to a point where I was, I, I allowed myself to exhibit all of my influences. You know, it was cause at some, you know, before I had, I had this band and I was like, okay, I have to do everything has to be blues rock. Everything has to have like a three minute guitar solo and it has to be, you know, heavy and, you know, it's like it has to it has to be this thing. And well, what was, what was that band? What what did you call that band? That that band was called the Lucky Dutch. And uh, did you guys put any songs together in that? Yeah, we did. Uh huh. Uh, it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but, yeah. Um. But yeah, it was like I just felt like I had to like I was you know I was just like okay my my songs have to be this and then once I kind of let that go and I said okay let me just allow myself to 
write what comes out and not try to edit it before it gets to the point where I'm just, you know, where it gets to being on a, on a, you know, just a demo stage, uh-huh. you know, you know, I, I wanted to just write what I felt and let myself be and let myself feel all of my influences and all the emotion of, of that. And then finally I was like, okay, I got these songs. They don't sound like anything that I've done before. And that's, that's totally fine. And that's how the album came. Yeah. It sounds like you were not trapped, but you know, a little bit, um, uh, you know, thinking within this box of the blues. And then you finally were like, uh, -uh, I'm going to, I'm going to break out of this. I'm going to explore and, and just, you know, be me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was what I wanted to do. Like, cause I had, that's the thing is like, I had all of those, influences i had the blues influence i had the the freddie king stevie ray vaughn um you know all those influences but i also had the influences of the the temptations and joe cocker and and you know nathaniel rateliff and you know new influences. oh right right I also had the influences of like nina simone and you know the jazzy the, the sort of the jazzy side of all that too so it you know and and the, the, the influences of like the band and the Almond Brothers and, you know, that side of it as well. So it's like, why not try to blend all of those and allow myself to do that thing instead of trying to like fit myself within this little box and, you know, and kind of like stunt my own growth a bit. Right. So, now, you know, once I started writing the songs for Santa Second Chances, I was like, I had this in my head. I was like, you know, no you know, no bars, like no, like, I'm not going to like try to fit myself in. It doesn't have to be a four bar, you know, a, a, a 12 bar blues. It doesn't have to be one, four, five. It doesn't have to have a three minute guitar solo on every song. Not every song even needs a guitar solo. So it's like, I don't, you know, I don't have to do that thing. I can just be who I am. Right. Right. You know, I always looked at blues, you know, jazz as being these, these uh, platforms for being able to express and mm-hmm. you had these standard songs and everyone knows them and, and you get up there and you start playing the song, but then, you know, the drummer takes a solo and the guitar player takes a solo and it, you know, it morphs and it, it, you know, has a whole different sound. And, uh, and that, but I, but you're the way you're talking about it is that it was uh, too hard of a construct that you wanted to be beyond all that. And that's what this song, this album sounds like. You know, you've described all these influences and I hear it in the songs. And uh, it, it's really interesting to, to uh, hear that after, uh, or, you know, hear your explanation of it after having heard the album and getting a chance to, you know, kind of see how it got to be that way. It's yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, because, like when you, when that's the thing is like, you know, the problem with with genre and kind of sticking to one thing is people start to you start to to like if I told you I'm going to serve you a, a cheeseburger, you already have a preconceived notion of what that cheeseburger is probably going to taste like. Right. Right. Um, you know, so if I give you something a little different, you're like, oh, this is new and I haven't I haven't thought about this before. And that was what this album was for me is because it, when you say you're a blues artist, people have this, this notion of like, all right, I'm going to hear a lot of guitar solos. I'm going to hear a lot of repeated lyrics. 
and it's going to sound like what I've heard before. And it's probably so, going to have a four, four beat and you know, all that. And, and especially when you're starting to talk to like label people or, or anybody that you want to kind of be on your team. Um, you know, they also have that as, as much as they would like try to think that they they're trying to going to be like, Oh, I'm going to think outside of that box or whatever. It's like, they also have that notion in their head as well. So it's not, and I uh-huh. want to come out swinging and saying like, I'm going to write a blues album because then if you were to get this in your hands, you'd be like, well, this is not really a blues album, you know? And it's like, it's not really a blues album. It's not really a country album. It's not really a soul album. So what is it? And it's just like, that's where I think Americana is right in the middle of all of those things. Gospel, blues, country, jazz, rock and roll. It all sits in that thing. And Americana is just right in the middle of it. Right. Well, Americana, you know, it's a, it's a, um, not a mixing bowl. <laughs> What's the, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know where I'm going with it, though. It's uh, uh, you know America itself is a um, is a whole conglomeration of all kinds of different things, and this is you know this latest generation of music is it doesn't fit with any within any genres, and and you've taken to, to that next step of really just making it as personal as you as you can. Who who yeah. uh, who helped you with this? A um, number of people. Um, so when we well, first started, I'm, yeah, that I, I started work, go go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, when I first started working on it, it was a um, a piano player by the name of Mike Mamoni. Um, he helped me kind of flesh out the songs because um, he's a very good songwriter, and he is he's one of those people that like, you know, he writes like maybe four or five songs a week. Oh wow. You know? <laughs> Um, yeah. so, and he he plays he plays so much and he has like this New Orleans-y sort of feel to him you know he, he's kind of like you know if you know Randy Newman had the voice of um, Tom Waits you know and <laughs> right. and you know the piano playing skill of you know of Rufus Wainwright you know it's like he's really really good uh-huh. um, that's great so he helped me flesh out the songs and then um you know, after a while, I started putting a band together, and uh, so I got my 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 drummer Ian Son. Um, he's you know he he's very he does a lot of stuff to like keep us on track um, with what we're doing. Especially like I'll have eighty different ideas, and he'll be like, "Okay, let's do three or four of those." <laughs> we'll put them in the thing. Yeah. Then. Uh, John McNeil, my bass player, he did a lot of stuff with like arranging and making sure that, um, you know, like getting, you know, like doing all the instrument arrangements and things like that. And then uh, a friend of mine, Sonia Major, she did all of the vocal arrangements, the background vocal arrangements for everything. And uh, Christina Catoni, she did the the background vocals, did did, uh, some of the arranging for the the background vocals as well. Um, Steve Shirk uh, recorded the album. And he did. And then once he felt comfortable, he actually started doing like producer things. Because uh-huh. at first, kind of like an engineer. And then he started, you know, we 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 built up a trust pretty quickly. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm also one of those people, like if we're in the studio and we're making an album, you know, I want as many ideas from the collective as possible. Like, I don't want it to be like, all right, it's my vision and whatever I say goes. It's like, if you think that there's something in this song that's missing, 
or maybe we're doing a little bit too much of one thing and it's like we take that out and then the song would sound better let me know i want to know that stuff yeah yeah and it, it works then, nicely if if you really trust the people and yeah. and they you know know where you're coming from it sounds like that this is a nice group of that yeah it is it was really a great a great group for this album and then so steve you know steve shirk he owns uh, shirk studios here in chicago he was like you know hey i got a couple things that i think we should sparse this out i think we should do this thing i think you know like there's a um there's a, a song called right one on the album mm -hmm. and that was like before steve you know got his hands on it the guitar parts were wildly different and then we, he was just like, hey, man, just play like, he was like, do you know that song by Lenny Kravitz, It Ain't Over Till It's Over? And I'm like, yeah, of course. He was like, play something like that. I was like, okay. And then we played that note and it worked. And it was just like, that's the thing that the song was missing. And it just worked perfectly. That's great. And yeah. uh, so you uh, have not slowed down in terms of your uh, working with other musicians as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, I know that you're coming to the Acorn Theater and you're going to play with uh, Shamika Copeland or opening for Shamika Copeland. So you're, you're bringing your band and um, you're going to open for Shamika. It sounds like that's what's happening? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> And have you uh, done other shows with her? Uh, are you going to be doing any kind of touring with her? Not, not, not yet. We're doing one show before that on the thirtieth at this new venue that just opened up called Roberts Westside. Oh yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, talent buyer for the Acorn is the owner of Roberts Westside. Yeah, Donnie. Donnie. Donnie Biggins. Donnie Biggins yep. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's he. Very, he's also a very good friend and lives in the neighborhood. And, oh you know. yeah, that's right. He's in Oak Park. He's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he so has I've, uh, just. I've actually known Shamika Copeland since I was seventeen years old. Oh really? Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've known each other for a long time. I've I've been on you know like shows with her and you know there there was there was always like these you know giant like blues shows that they would have and um, you know they'd have like a bunch of artists like they have like Bobby Blue Bland and Shamika Copeland. Uh, Nelly Travis, for, uh, Fernando Jones, um, uh, Carl Weathersby, um, you know, like they have these huge shows like this yeah. almost every year, a couple times a year. So I would be on those and I would run into her all the time. So it, it'll be interesting. We haven't seen each other in probably almost 12 years now. Oh, really? So wow. That's, the, yeah. You know, so that'll be fun. You get to get yeah. to play with her, and so two nights in a row with Shamika, and then yep. uh, and then Lily Hyatt. That's going to be great. Yeah, Lily Hyatt is on that, and then it's funny because I'm uh, I was supposed to open for John Hyatt, um, in I want to say it was October of of last of this year, or was it of twenty three? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. twenty three. Yeah. So that that got postponed. Um, he he got he got sick. Oh, on the shows. But now I'm open for um, John Hyatt on May fifth in uh, in Evanston at Space. Oh, great! Wow, that's a another great venue. Yeah, you know this. Um, uh, there there's just you know so it's so it's so nice that there's these great venues for. Um, musicians to be able to play at and people to be able to see them intimately like this. 
Uh, it's a whole different way of, of experiencing music, I think. You know, it's one thing yeah. to go into an arena and see your favorite band and all that, but to really see somebody who's who's putting their all into it and and uh, you know probably wrote the songs and and you know playing their best. I mean, that, there's something really genuine and and real and quite exciting about about seeing shows like that. And I think people are starting to to really enjoy. I think once COVID hit, um, you know, and we weren't able to go to shows and then that's when all the things ramped up like i did a lot of like you know backyard shows where it was like really you know i was super distanced away from everybody everything was outside right more of an intimate experience because you were it was just you know one person you know playing their instrument and and doing these songs and then uh i, I think that people really got in the listening rooms because of that because now it's it you know it's it's not just Cause like when you're in a, on an arena stage, you're, it, it's, it's, a, it's cool to see your favorite artists at an arena. I've been, you know, I've, I've been to like the giant shows and things like, you know, United center or things sure. like that. But then when you see an artist in a smaller space and you can, you know, you can see their face actually, and not just like, not just see them on a jumbotron or, you know, like, okay, that ant's head is Drake, you know? Yeah. It, it It's uh you know, you get to, you get to actually, you know, it's all you're in. You're in their living room almost. Right. There's know? much more of a connection. You know, there's a uh, physical connection. You're you're right there. You you can see them up close. You can they can see you. You know, what does it feel like to uh, to be on the other side of that? You know, to uh, to have a smaller room to play in and and you know see everyone's reactions and stuff like that. It's it's kind of like a double edged sword because. You do you like the because, you know, I do like the those moments of like, you know, being able to be in a smaller room and connecting with the people. But also that is this one of the scariest things ever, because a lot of people now like this is the first time after COVID. This is the first time that I've ever experienced people not being on their phones or trying to talk over the artist when they're playing a show. So now it's like, OK, I know you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do hate that. You know, you go to a show and people are talking. Yeah, because, you know, now it's like, you know, there's no guy in the back of the room trying to get that woman's number. It's like everybody's trained on you. And if you mess up a lyric, and I'm, and this is the first time it's happened. this has happened to me, too, is that I'm starting to see people who have seen me play before, you know, come back to shows. Oh, fun. So they have the record. They know the lyrics. So it's like, I can't mess up lyrics anymore. <laughs> Like, oh, you changed the lyric to somebody else. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, oh, it's it's not. I don't. There's there's a there's like a vulner vulnerability to it um, because the, people can see you and they can see your face and they can hear everything that you're saying and you can see them and there is this you know sort of like you know being in your underwear in high school. Right, know, right. You know, the, the nightmare of being in your underwear in high school. Um, there's there's a, a a feeling of that now. Yeah, like I, much a little yeah. more amplified. Even though it's a smaller yeah. number of people, perhaps it's just you know they're listening. They you yeah. know, and the places that you describe, like space and uh, um, uh, Roberts um, West Side, uh, you know those are and and uh, Acorn Theater. They're like places where people go to listen to the music. You know they're not going to have a lot of side talking and things going on it's it's rather rare 
you, you have people that are really there to listen and not there to be drinking beer and talking with their friends. And that's, that's really nice. I mean, that, that's part of this evolution of, uh, of, of music lately and, um, and where, and where it's gotten. I think that there's just a lot of people out there that are very focused on the music and not just as part of something else. And, uh, it seems like a nice time for, to, to, you know, start breaking out and, uh, and doing more things. Are you going to, um, continue to do session work and, uh, um, you know, backup, or are you going to keep moving forward with your individual stuff? And, and, and are you have any plans for those other 10 songs that didn't get onto this album? Yeah, I am. Um, I, I think, I think session work for me, uh, you know, I, I like playing on other people's albums and I like, you know, like jumping in on other people's, um, like you know, there's a, there's a band actually uh, the one of the singers that I mentioned. Well, two of them, Sonia uh, Major and Christina Catoni. Uh-huh. They have a band called The Nets, um, and you know I got to play on their album, and so that was you know I I like you know I really do enjoy doing things like that still because it just kind of it it pulls you out of your it pulls you out of your, like, you know, your same old. Sort yeah. Of yeah. And it does kind of, you know, cause sometimes you get in those sessions and you're just like, Oh man, I, you know, it's like, I like the way they do this thing. It's like, maybe I can use that for, for what I'm doing. And it, and it does kind of, you know, you do projects and, and it makes you feel, you know, it, it gives you a different perspective. It gives so you like a different you, perspective. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like tomorrow I'm, I'm going into the studio to do, um, I'm actually going to do like a, a a blues track, a straight up blues track, and I'm not doing any singing on it. And I'm just going to do like the, you know, the blazing guitar solo thing, you know? So it's like, that's, you know, that's kind of pulling me back to my roots a little bit and like, you know, all right, let me see if I still got something to say there anymore. You know? So it's, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of a challenge. You know, it's like, I don't think, I think a lot of musicians should play on other people's albums, even if you are a, you know, solo artist because it does give you a different perspective and it does keep you on your toes. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Nathan, it was really great to talk with you and looking forward to seeing you at uh, the Acorn on December 31st with Shamika Copeland. Um, you're going to play a bunch of songs from your new album? Yeah. All yeah, right, yeah. good. And um, and good luck with your tour in, in the spring with Lily Hyde and uh, your chance to play with John Hyde in May. And uh, good luck on, you know, this next, this, whatever you do next. It's been a pleasure talking with you. You too. Thank you. And that was Nathan Graham. And you've been listening to Johnny Secret Stash. And I'm John Goldman. You're listening to us on Radio Harbor Country, 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, WRHC and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. And again, Johnny Secret Stash is underwritten by Kara's Cottages. That's uh, Kara's and Cottages with a K. um, uh, Airbnbs in uh, the Kalamazoo area. Thank you, everybody. Good night.